morning, everybody. Nice to see you all, and good morning to our folks around the U.S. who are watching and listening. Good morning to you, and a wonderful hello and good morning to our international visitors, you folks from around the world that have been watching and joining us for some time now. Blessed Lord's Day to you. We love you very much. Thank you for checking in with us, and thank you for joining us. We do thank you, you pray for you, and love you very much. Uh, this morning, we're nearing the end of our journey through the uh, Voice of the Martyrs Global Prayer Guide. In fact, we'll be finished with it in uh, two weeks. Um, today, the particular nation I want to bring to your attention before we go to prayer and our study of Scripture are Christian believers in Vietnam. Vietnam, according to the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, is a restricted country. Vietnam, as you probably very well know, has a repressive communist government which actively does persecute Christians. While Christianity is supposedly legal in the country, the government still sees it, of course, as a threat. Minority tribal groups such as the Hmong, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, typically face the most violent and harsh forms of persecution. Churches continue to grow, of course, despite persecution. Most Vietnamese practice uh, pagan ancestor worship, which has been popular for centuries in that culture. It is often uh, blended with a form of Buddhism. Local authorities persecute Christians in rural areas, and Christian converts are also persecuted by family members. New Christians are often evicted from their homes and villages in Vietnam, especially in tribal areas where local authorities exercise pretty broad discretion or just simply look the other way. Officially recognized churches are expected to report their activities and teachings to the government. All churches face government opposition when they evangelize outside the church walls or attempt to conduct community events. So apparently their so-called religious freedom is limited to the four walls. If you take a religion outside of that church, well, they're not having that. Non-recognized churches which cannot be officially registered are in violation of the law. Within rural and tribal areas, existing believers can often meet openly, but new believers are targeted for harsh persecution. Christians are often denied social services, utilities, and even schooling in an attempt to pressure them to reject Christianity. It is technically legal to own a Bible there, but distribution is very difficult in rural areas, especially in large quantities. There is a particular need. Voice of the Martyrs provides training for pastors and believers. Voice of the Martyrs also distributes Bibles to tribal Christians and provides tools for various tools for frontline workers. So this week in your prayers, please remember, and ever onwards, as always, please remember our brothers and sisters in Christ in, in Vietnam. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer, first recognizes the needs of our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus who are in Vietnam. We pray that you will grant them greater religious freedom. We pray that you will grant them the physical needs that they need as many areas in this nation are still very poor, very impoverished. We pray for their spiritual needs, of course, first and foremost, but we do not want to neglect their physical needs as well. Help us as we give to the, have always supported the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry to be faithful to do so. And may some of our resources reach 
these dear folks in, in all of these countries, as many as is possible. We pray for the Voice of the Martyrs ministry. They are very busy. They are stretched to the limit all over the entire world. Please send them more resources, more workers, more employees, that they may have a greater and more profound influence in this world to bring peace and safety and assistance in any way possible to believers the world over. Again, Father God, please pardon our fumbling prayers on behalf of our siblings in the Lord Jesus, but we do pray in particular for the people of Vietnam this morning. I pray for everyone who is traveling and will travel. I pray for those who are ill, our folks who are out of state, uh, soon to return, everyone who is not present with us this morning. May each circumstance and situation, known or unknown, be used to draw all of our folks, each and every one of us, closer to you, all the situations, circumstances we face on a daily basis. Please open our hearts and minds to receive the truth of your word from this most important passage, the spiritual warfare passage of our big brother Paul. We've been studying for so many weeks. Oh, Lord God, how relevant it is for today. Always has been, always will be. Help us to be faithful to translate these words into action in our life. May everything that is said and done here this morning bring praise, honor, and glory to you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and all of those watching and in the days to come, may they all be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. You who are our only hope and you who are more than hope enough for one and for all. In the blessed and holy name of Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Would you stand please for the reading of the word of the Lord? We are nearing the end of our journey through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. By the way, if Lynn wouldn't mind, Lynn took a trip to the ancient city of Ephesus some years ago. And she graciously brought her photo album in this morning, which I enjoyed before the service. If you want to get a good look at ancient Ephesus, please see Lynn right after the service. She has some absolutely magnificent photos of some of the best preserved ruins of a biblical city in the ancient world. So hit her up about that. I'm sure, I'm sure she won't mind. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the famed helmet of salvation. And take or take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the very word of God. These are the words of the Lord, and thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. You see how careful I'm trying to be in unpacking this metaphor. I've had a feeling once we arrived right in the thick of it that we would probably only be covering one verse at a time. Today, only one half of one verse at a time. Today the famed helmet of salvation. I apologize to all of those of you who are watching. I've given a visual from the ancient world to the folks uh, present this morning. Uh, if you wish, if you have a library or history books handy from the first century or you have access to the internet and want to look up a first century Roman legionnaire's helmet, uh, this is the picture uh, that we have on the screen. By the way, I encourage you to look at originals. Uh, various museums in the Mediterranean world, it's very exciting. They have excavated intact Roman helmets from this era in history. And that is precisely where this, the information, this, this reconstruction, was made from. Uh, the helmet on the screen is that of a Roman legionary 
a soldier who actually served in a Roman legion. And this was the style of helmet that Roman troops were wearing at the time that Paul wrote the letter. So that's the standard helmet of an imperial Roman soldier at the time of the life of Christ and the apostles and at the time that Paul wrote the letter. So this image perhaps may somewhat be in Paul's mind his inspiration, but I will tell you in advance his chief inspiration is probably from the Old Testament, in particular the book of Isaiah. We've sort of jumped to the conclusion over the years. I told you this a week or so before, that Paul's primary inspiration visually for this metaphor was the arms and armor equipment of a first century Roman soldier. That is probably true to a degree, but not entirely. If you examine this passage, explore it as one should, you'll come to the conclusion that he's, he's drawing heavily from the Old Testament, from prophecies of the Lord of the Messiah, from the book of Isaiah. When Isaiah prophesied the Messiah arriving as an armored warrior king to bring salvation and deliverance to his people and to judge evil. That is Paul's primary inspiration. The soldiers that he spent so much time around in his life and his travels is probably a secondary inspiration. So today in our Ephesians studies, we're back in Paul's great inspired passage concerning spiritual warfare, probably the most intense passage of spiritual warfare in the New Testament. One of his favorite metaphors for the Christian life, that of a hard campaigning soldier. And so we come to the soldier's helmet and weapon here in verse 15. We'll concentrate first, of course, upon the soldier's helmet. Metaphor, of course, built from the Old Testament and upon the ancient Roman soldier of Paul's generation, probably even the military traditions of earlier traditions, including the Greeks. And I hope and pray that you've found all of you folks here and abroad have thus far found out that if you take proper care in unpacking, as we say, this metaphor, there is a very great deal that it has to teach us. So, once again, let me read the verse to you. First half, take, or perhaps better yet, translated as take up, strong in the Greek, take up this helmet, which is salvation, and seize or grasp onto the sword of the Spirit, which is the very word of God. Again, it's pretty strong language. It's a very active command. He writes this with a sense of urgency. He writes with a sense of emergency. Emergency, two arms-like language. We are in a war, Christian brother and sister. Armor up and get into the fight. That has been Paul's tone throughout this entire, entire metaphor. Now, first of all, speaking of motivations or inspirations for the metaphor, uh, Many folks have asked throughout the years, what exactly is Paul's imagery for this helmet, this sword? Where is this drawn from? Is it drawn from the military of his day, his generation, or elsewhere? Well, I think, yes, to an appreciable degree, he is drawing from his life experience, the Roman military of his day, and of course the people in Ephesus, all Christians at this time, were quite familiar with the ubiquitous Roman soldier. Roman troops were everywhere throughout all the provinces. Those folks didn't have a civil police force such as we have. The military was the police force, other than a home guard militia. So that's probably his imagery, visually, in painting this word picture, to a degree. But let's not stop there. Probably, but not entirely. I think to an even greater degree, initially, Paul is drawing from the Old Testament scriptures as well particularly from the book of Isaiah, as I mentioned before. 
Um, of course, we should never forget, Paul's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He's drawing from his own life experience as a preacher, as an evangelist, as an author. But never forget, of course, the doctrine of divine inspiration. I think we should take the doctrine of divine inspiration even to the point of the very words, the very vocabulary, the very grammar and syntax in the original Greek in which this man writes. He is God's secretary, as the old theologians would say. Everything that this man puts to papyrus, pen to paper, as we would say, is under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God is working in this man and that this man would draw from his own life experiences as well. But I think the Spirit is reminding Paul of the Old Testament Scriptures, the book of Isaiah. Paul is a Jewish theologian par excellence, probably one of the best theologically trained Jews of his day. So his mind is saturated in the Old Testament. He's drawing from, well, it's not hard to see when I read this passage for you, uh, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17 in particular. Isaiah's pronouncements concerning God, and yes, the Messiah, God the Son himself. And many theologians believe that in this particular part of Isaiah chapter 59, it is something of a mess messianic prophecy. Who is the Messiah like? What is he going to be like? What is he going to do? What is his ministry? What is his agenda when he arrives? Isaiah 59, 17 states, And he, meaning the Lord, or Christ the Messiah, God the Son himself, and he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Does that sound familiar? It's wonderful. Paul's practically citing it, isn't he? He, the Messiah, when he arrives, he will be the great divine warrior king, that image that I've given you before that's in Paul's mind in this passage. He wears righteousness like a breastplate, like Christians are to wear righteousness as a breastplate according to Paul's metaphor for the Christian life, the people of God in the New Covenant era. And the Messiah will wear salvation on his head like a helmet. He comes to bring salvation for his people. Now let me read to you the remainder of verse 17. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing. That is, he is arriving to bring justice or vengeance upon those who do evil. He will wear it like clothing. He will wear it like the robes of a magistrate. And he wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle or a cloak. So when Messiah arrives, he will bring deliverance, salvation to his people. He is armored up to do battle against evil, and he will judge evil as well. And he will be filled, covered with zeal to perform his mission and to accomplish his goal. So it is, now focus again on the beginning of that verse. Righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. You see where Paul's coming from? He's drawing from the prophecies of the Messiah. He's saying to us, so Christian believer, you are in the Messiah, you belong to the Messiah, the Christ, so it is with the great divine warrior king, the Messiah himself, so it is to be with his troops, his people, in the cosmic battle against evil. That's which we refer to traditionally as spiritual warfare. And so we come to the fifth piece of equipment or armor of the Christian soldier in Paul's metaphor, and that is the famed helmet of salvation, or salvation as a helmet to protect you in the battle. Obviously, what's the first conclusion that we draw? How important, how foundational, how fundamental was the helmet to an ancient 
soldier. You simply will not make it. You will not survive without that helmet, that all basic, essential, foundational piece of equipment of armor. And, um, well, how basic and fundamental has that been throughout all of history? Soldiers have always worn helmets of some type or another, and soldiers and militaries the world over to this very hour still wear helmets. How basic is that? First lesson is that's how basic, that's how important, that's how foundational, that's how fundamental salvation is to the Christian believer. You will not survive the cosmic struggle if you do not have salvation, which you should be wearing as a soldier wears his helmet into battle. You will not survive the cosmic conflict. You will not be protected if you do not have salvation, redemption. If you do not have salvation or redemption, you still belong to the evil one in the evil one's camp. Without salvation, all we have to look forward to is the judgment of God in the end on the last day. So certainly with no salvation, you will certainly not survive the cosmic conflict betwixt good and evil, that in which we are involved and will be involved in until the Lord returns. And when Paul means salvation here, let me focus on this for a moment. He's focusing upon what your salvation means and brings in the present, in this life. A lot of folks have a tendency to think of their salvation as something that's mostly futuristic after you die, or at the end of human history as we know it, when Christ returns. That's not true. Yes, we do have eternity future facing us. We do have more of our salvation and what it means and brings to look forward to than this brief time that we are on this planet in this era of history. But Paul is saying this, I want you to concentrate and focus on wearing your salvation as a helmet on your head in this life, in the here and now, in the battlefield that you're facing now to get you through this life on your way to your eternal home. Focus on putting that salvation to work in the here and now as well as the hope and the promise that it's going to bring to you climactically in your future, your ultimate future, your ultimate destiny. He's speaking of the results, the ramifications, the meaning of the Christian believer's salvation for this life. After all, in the next life, we're not going to be fighting a spiritual war. Now are we? Praise God, in eternity, in the new heaven and the new earth, in kingdom come, wars are over once and for all and forever. Paul's speaking about the war that we're in now. Metaphorically speaking of spiritual armor and weapons that we're to use in the war, which is this life. This life, according to the New Testament, is half pilgrimage and half battleground. The fruits of peace and lasting peace come hereafter. So he's speaking about salvation in this war that we are experiencing now. This side of life. This side of eternity. The present meaning and dimensions of salvation are in view here. He wants you to put it to work, to exercise it, to flex it, to fight with it even, according to this militaristic metaphor. As Christian soldiers, Christian soldiers are people who have what? Received salvation in Christ, who have and bear that helmet of salvation. They are people who have received thereby new life in Christ. They are folks who have now have a new identity altogether and a new and final destination in Christ. 
People who have salvation, who are enlisted in Messiah's army, Christian soldiers are people who will inhabit and inherit the final cosmic kingdom of Christ and of God. And even though we may taste mortal death and take the passage of mortal death, nevertheless, the soul lives on. We do not die in any way. And even our mortal body will bodily be raised to eternal life on the last day. This is what your salvation means in the present and in the future, that and more so. This all means that the Christian soldier in this life has been delivered from the powers of evil, the enemy, and now we are actually enlisted to stand against and fight against our spiritual enemy, the powers of evil. And yes, we are not only to stand against them, we are to defeat them in the here and now. We are to join in this fight with our great King, the Messiah, as prophesied and to trust in His power and to draw from His power and His authority over them, our spiritual enemies in a spiritual warfare. So our union with Christ, our salvation, is what the Apostle is focusing on here. This assures the Christian believer of your final destiny, of your final victory. This helmet, which is salvation, provides strength. It provides hope. provides real spiritual strength and connects the Christian soldier to our God, to Christ the King, to the Spirit of God who dwells within you and gives you life and empowers you to fight this fight. It connects us to our Savior, He who is the supreme and ultimate source of power for winning the cosmic conflict. And yes, some folks may not want to hear this. This is not pacifistic. We're not speaking about physical warfare. Sometimes spiritual warfare will most certainly manifest itself in the physical. But we are speaking of spiritual warfare, spiritual battles against spiritual enemies. And we're all in this fight. We are to fight and overcome in this life to some degree. That is our command. We are to fight and we are to overcome in this life to an appreciable degree. We are all to enter the kingdom of heaven as grizzled veterans. That's what this metaphor is all about. We are to enter the next life as veterans, as overcomers. That is how we are to enter the kingdom of Christ and of God. And what uh, part and parcel is this life all about now that we have received our salvation, our redemption? You're being pruned. You're being groomed. You're being purged. You're being purified. You're being trained. Being, being trained on campaign. Being trained in the trenches of spiritual warfare to overcome evil. We're being trained, we're being prepared to enjoy the fruits of lasting peace forever in the future. We're being trained and prepared to rightfully join in the spoils of the victory of Christ's final and eternal victory over evil upon and after His return. That is part and parcel of what this life here is all about. The final homecoming, it's coming. The final arrival of the King, it's coming. The final victory parade, if I may express it that way, the final decoration ceremony for the Lord's veterans, that day is on its way. The victory, final victory of the Christian soldier is assured. Remember the big picture that the New Testament gives us and that Paul has given us in this letter. That final day is on its way according to divine plan with the divine warrior king, Christ the Savior himself, leading the way. This is how our salvation is to be worked out, flexed, exercised, put to work, put on display in this life as well as in eternity. 
That is, salvation is a helmet in or by way of Christ, the divine warrior, king, and redeemer. It's very similar to what the apostle writes elsewhere in the New Testament. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We do not earn our salvation. We cannot. Salvation comes by way of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, He and He alone. But the apostle is saying under the inspiration of the Spirit that once you are gifted, you receive your salvation from the Messiah, the Christ as a divine gift. Put it to work. Armor up. Get in the fight. Join the divine warrior king in his mission to make things right and to restore Eden one day which was lost in the distant, distant past. Paul wants us to put the salvation Christ won for us to work in this spiritual battle. Take up salvation, wear it on your head, metaphorically speaking, as a soldier's helmet. When he says take up or take, it's a little gentle in English. In the original Greek, it's dexaste. It's a strong word. It's another word in Koine Greek for seize, grasp a hold of, lay hold of. It's a strong word. Very, very active. Not passive in any way at all. Take up, grasp hold of, seize this helmet, which is salvation. Put it on your head and get into this fight. That's what he's saying. The Lord not only fights for his people. Yes, he certainly does. He always has. He does now and he always will. But he wants us to get into the fight with him as well as part of our preparation for our eternal home. According to this metaphor, Paul has been telling us, he gives us divine gifts, gracious divine gifts and resources, which is this metaphorical armor. Truth, righteousness, salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, they're all divine gifts, they're all divine resources that he gives to his redeemed people, so that they, now as soldiers enlisted in his service, can directly engage in combat with spiritual and supernatural enemies. It's a, it's a daunting thought. It's a daunting thought. They're the most dangerous enemies of all, but we are commanded to lock horns with them. And frankly, you're going to, whether you want to or not, whether you're aware of it or not. Because if you don't go after them, oh, they will most certainly come after you. This is part of our mission. This is part of our pur purpose in this world, in this life. We should recall here that Paul, he also says something of the same thing, drawing somewhat from the same metaphor. Did you know that? To the church in Thessalonica. He says something very similar to the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul writes the Thessalonians to, quote, put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Sound familiar? Same language, same metaphor. But he tells the Thessalonians, put on the hope of salvation and wear the hope of salvation as a helmet. In other words, the hope of, the hope in, all that your salvation is, all that it means, all that it brings. Slap it on your head, wear it as a helmet. It will get you through this life on your way to your eternal home. Same imagery. Dr. Arnold, uh, Clinton Arnold, that commentary, wonderful commentary I've been enjoying for these weeks now. He writes, Paul wants his readers to come to a greater awareness and experience of the divine power genuinely available to them by way of their salvation, the experience of divine power available through their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to equip them for their struggle against demonic forces. Paul is stressing salvation and deliverance in terms of its present 
relevance to this life, end quote. Thank you, Dr. Arnold. Beautifully put. I think Paul is remember, uh, saying this to us. Remember, brothers and sisters, remember, that you're, what, remember what your salvation means in this life, as well as eternity. Put it to work in a spiritual battle that you probably will face every single day. How about the Ephesians facing spiritual warfare every single day? These folks lived in one of the most rank pagan cities in the Mediterranean world. They were in the trenches in spiritual warfare every day of their lives if they remained in this city and in this culture. Wear your salvation like a soldier, which you see every day. Where's his helmet? Now I'm going to give you a little bit of biblical language detective work here. We can prove by examining the language itself that Paul was drawing from Isaiah 59, this prophecy of the Messiah, where Isaiah says Messiah will wear righteousness like a breastplate and salvation is a helmet on his head. By examining the language, we can prove that this was on Paul's mind. Here's how you do it. A little bit of detective work for those of you who like detective work. We're doing a little bit of biblical interpretive detective work here. The word that Paul uses here in the original language for salvation is soteriu or soterion. Soterion. That's interesting because it is the only place in the New Testament in his letters where he uses this word for salvation. He doesn't use it anywhere else. Everywhere else in his letters that Paul writes or uses the word salvation, it's soteria. It's the feminine form of soterion. Now what is interesting is soterion, the word he uses in Ephesians, it's the exact same word for salvation that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's the exact same word for salvation that's used in the Greek translation of Isaiah 59, verse 17, the verse that I read to you, where Messiah wears salvation as a helmet. You see what this does? It confirms that Isaiah 59, 17 was Paul's inspiration in this part of the armor of God metaphor. So now, moving on. Oh my, in the various commentaries I've consulted throughout these months and going through the book of Ephesians with you, a large number of theologians throughout the decades, throughout the centuries really, point out in their commentaries a crucial observation that you have to make. And I really have to hammer this home to you this morning. This is very important. A crucial observation we must make is, yes, Paul is strongly emphasizing the believer's salvation in Christ, what it means, how we are to live it out in its present results, and its dimensions. Your salvation has tremendous power in this life as well as eternity. And we are to be exercising it. We are to be using it. We are to be working it. We are staying within the metaphor. We are to be fighting evil in this world with it. The effects, the results of a believer's, a Christian soldier's, if you will, salvation for this side of life, it is all throughout this metaphor. It is all throughout this letter, the letter of Ephesians. So Christian soldiers, believers, by way of their salvation, their helmet, if you will, thereby have been given very real power for your ongoing freedom 
from the attacks and the work of our spiritual enemies. And this is perhaps as, as, as or more important in some circumstances and situations. You thereby, by way of your salvation, have been given power to deliver other people, to fight for others, to free others from evil spiritual powers, to fight in behalf of others in the trenches of this life concerning spiritual warfare. Believers, Christian soldiers, share in Christ the King's power and authority of their salvation, this helmet, this armor. And we are expected not only to stand our ground, but we are expected to gain ground. We are expected to gain victories over the evil one and his domain. We are supposed to be putting evil on the run. We are not always supposed to be on the run and on the defensive. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. I quote him again from the Gospels. Remember Christ's words to his apostles and by association to all of us. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail or stand against it. By the way, I believe when he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, he is not speaking of Simon Peter, the small rock. He is speaking of himself as Jesus, the Messiah, God the Son, the rock of ages. Upon this rock, I myself, he is saying, the rock of ages, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. His people are to be battering down the gates of hell in this world. This is offensive language, folks. It is not defensive language. That's precisely what we are to be doing. Putting evil on the run. Putting evil on the defense in this world. So putting on or taking up, seizing up this helmet of salvation. Again, let me hammer it home. Realize what your salvation means in this life. Appropriate what your salvation means and brings and exercise it in this world, in this life, in your present situations and circumstances, everywhere that you go, every day that you live, everybody that you're with. Remember, he says you're supposed to be dressed in this armor 24-7 and ready to go to face our supernatural enemies, all on the basis of our salvation, our union with the resurrected and exalted Lord of heaven and earth and... This helmet of salvation, yes. It does also convey the promise of the future. Your assurance is concerning the future. The completion of the Christian soldier's salvation in eternity. The eternal future. Now in closing, before I read you a wonderful old prayer that was probably written two to three to four hundred years ago by one of our Puritan forebears about this passage about spiritual warfare. I will read it to you, but it is a prayer, and I will read it to you as a prayer to conclude this service. But first of all, let's take this few more points about this metaphor as a helmet. I like to study what great theologians from the past, even centuries past, even a thousand years ago, had to say in interpreting, faithfully interpreting biblical passages. They have a lot of wonderful things to say about the armor of God as you can imagine. I think they're right when they say, well, what is a helmet supposed to do? Well, a helmet protects your head, obviously. What's in your head? Your mind. Your thoughts, your brain. The life of the mind. Now, I don't think we should stop there. I think when he says helmet of salvation, wear salvation as a helmet, Salvation affects absolutely every single part 
of the believer. Physical, spiritual, mental, everything. So don't stop with the mind. It is a comprehensive protection of the whole believer. But yeah, I think you can appreciably say, well, a helmet protects one's head. So a spiritual helmet should be protecting what's in my head, my mind, the life of the mind. And how many times have I told you over the course of the past few years, Old Testament, New Testament, how important do the sacred scriptures treat the life of the mind? Because the mind is intimately connected with the soul. And what goes on in here and what goes on in here will manifest itself out here. As I've said a thousand times, I'll say a thousand more times, Scripture teaches us you live your life from the inside out, from the soul and the mind outwards. What's going on in the mind and the soul is going to manifest itself in the deeds of the body, physically, spiritually. So yes, wear salvation as your helmet to protect your mind, what you think and how you think and what you do with your thoughts and how you apply your thoughts, and where you draw your thoughts from. The inspiration for your thinking. We all know this by experience. Probably many, if not most, of life's greatest struggles are fought where? In the mind. In that figurative heart, intimately connected with the soul. Those are some of the toughest battles that any of us ever have fought or ever will. Yes, wear your helmet. Salvation. To protect that life of the mind. Intimately connected with the life of the soul. I'm going to give you two thoughts from theologians of the past. One man, everybody knows who he was. I'll draw from the 19th century. Charles Spurgeon. The Prince of Preachers. The great Baptist preacher in England. From the 19th century. Uh, he wrote a few commentaries in his life. Uh, throughout his long career as a pastor, many of his sermons were published in book form and were printed. So here are, are some of his thoughts on this verse in the book of Ephesians about defending your mind or your soul by way of the helmet of salvation. He writes, Before salvation, believer, you used to wear the helmet of vanity and pride and all of its fine nodding plumes. But now you have taken that off, Christian soldier, and you have now put on the helmet of salvation. This, as helmets do, will effectually defend your head. And no weapon of the enemy will be able to cleave through it to injure you. Your mind. Your mind and everything that is connected with your mental powers will be right when you are saved. When you know that you are saved. And when the power of God's salvation is working over and within you. Battlefield of the mind. The second man, I think most of you folks probably would have heard of. Some of you maybe not. I'm going to take you a little further back in time. Have you ever heard of the, the biblical commentaries of Matthew Henry? Matthew Henry's commentaries. I have a set given to me by very dear and beloved friends. Matthew Henry was born in the late 17th century and lived through the early part of the 18th century. And he wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible. In fact, uh, they're all over the place today. You can still go to Christian bookstores today and buy reprints of Matthew Henry's commentaries. In fact, uh, he was very important for evangelical Christianity here in America. 
Our founding generation would have been steeped in Matthew Henry's commentaries on the Bible. Matthew Henry had to write about this, this verse, and he draws the hope of salvation from Thessalonians into it. Salvation must be our helmet, the apostle writes. He also writes that the hope of an in salvation must be our helmet. That is, hope which has our salvation as its object. The helmet secures the head. A good hope of eternal salvation, well-founded, well-built, will both purify the mind, the soul, and keep it from being defiled by the evil one and will comfort the mind and soul and keep it all from being troubled and tormented by the evil one. He would tempt us to despair, but the good hope of our salvation keeps us trusting in God and rejoicing in Him." End quote. And if I may add, this will make you a match for the enemy. That's precisely what it is to do. And will make you able and capable of standing against the enemy and dare I say, even putting the enemy on the run from time to time. To close this morning, I give you a wonderful old prayer from our Puritan forebears. It is simply called the servant in battle. So would you join me in this prayer and enjoy this prayer? O oh Lord God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, I bless thee that the issue of the great battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain, and it will end in your complete and total victory. The cross of Calvary broke the dragon's head, and I contend with a vanquished enemy who with all of his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. When I feel the old serpent at my heel, May I remember Christ the Lord, whose heel was bruised, but who, when he was bruised, he broke the devil's head. My soul with inward joy extols the mighty conqueror Christ. Heal me of any wounds received in this great conflict, O Lord. If I have gathered any defilement, if my faith has suffered damage, if my hope is less than bright, if my love is not fervent, if some creature comfort occupies my heart, or if my soul sinks under pressure of this fight. O thou great and glorious God, whose every promise is healing balm, every touch life, draw near to this thy weary warrior. Refresh me that I may rise again to wage the strife, and never tire until my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with thee that I may defy Satan, unbelief, the flesh, the world, with delight that comes not from any creature, and which no creature can spoil. Give me a draft of the eternal fountain that lies in thy immutable everlasting love and decree. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rest, my shield never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall, as my strength rests in the power of thy might and thy might alone. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. To dismiss, if you'll